0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Well, can I just say something? I I am so thankful um, for your generosity and understanding that. Um, like what Amy said, it really isn't about us. It's about us being used by the Lord to serve other people. When we went out yesterday to serve our community to hand out the Thanksgiving baskets, I pray that that um, everyone that would serve and everyone that delivered the baskets would realize that that we are here to serve the community, not the other way around. And when we do that, Christ is glorified. Whether it's, it's uh, delivering gifts on behalf of an incarcerated parent or helping to support a missionary so they can reach out to refugees in Georgia, or whether it's just delivering a basket. These are all tangible ways that we can actually show the love of Christ. And um, be that person, just be that person to your neighbor, to your coworker to your family member. Just do little tangible things that just show the love of Christ and it makes such a big difference in people's lives when we have that type of attitude. And then it's about serving. Remember, Jesus came what? to serve and not be served, to give his life as a ransom for you and I. That's my message. Let's pray and go home. No, I'm just, no. <laughs> but thank, can we thank the Lord for just, for just his goodness? Amen. He's so good. And for using us. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our, our series in the book of James, and we're going to be jumping into James chapter uh, four today. And as, as we've been looking at the book of James, it's all about looking at our faith and whether or not our faith is authentic. And basically what James is saying is, listen, hey, put your, your, your faith into action. Just don't be listeners of the word, but be doers of the word And the, the reality of your faith is going to be seen when it's tested, when you have to go through a trial. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at our, our faith being tested. And, and what is the result? What, what is seen from a life that is tested? And what, it, what it's going to reveal is the authenticity of what you really, really believe. And we all know that life is a series of tests. You will never grow unless you are tested, unless your faith is tested. Unless you go through some type of suffering, you will never grow. I know that doesn't sound good, but it is good, right? And for you that are not good test takers, how many of you were just not good Test takers in school. Can I just get good? So many of you like me. I would. Pan- I did much better at multiple guessing, multiple choice, than the essay portion of the of of the exam. I remember when I was in college, they would post our exam scores um, in in the uh, like uh, wherever the post office was. You get your mail in the bookstore, and there's this huge long wall, and they would post your grades. And the way it worked was they would do it by your student number. So what they would do is, at the bottom of the sheet were the lowest grades. And as you went higher up the list, so did your grades. So I remember when they would post the exams, everybody would rush into the bookstore to see what their grades were. And what I would do is I'd always start at the bottom. And I'm like, okay, we're doing good. And then the, the person next to me, like, oh, no, because you could see them pointing. You get higher and higher. And, of course, the higher is good. And so, you know, you'd panic every time those uh, scores would, would go on the wall. And, but I want you to understand that God gives us tests in our lives for a reason. It's not just to set you up to fail. Because we all are going to fail at one time or another, aren't we? So it's not, God is not just up in heaven, just wringing his hands, waiting for you to fail and, and some, you know, professor that just wants to make life hard for all his students. That, that's not what God is doing. What God is doing is he's setting you up so that you can know him in a greater way. He wants to bring these series of tests in our lives to say, listen, I want you to grow in me. That's how much I care about you, not just to set you up to fail, but I want you to grow, and I want you to mature in me. So what James does in this letter, and we know that James is the half-brother of Jesus. James uh, was the leader in the Jerusalem church, and he writes this letter just to address issues that were in the church. And there were some issues in this church, and the church wasn't treating each other well. They weren't truly living out their faith that they professed to believe. It wasn't really seen in the way they were living it out in their lives. And what James is going to do in this section of his letter, and we're going to look at, at chapter 4, he's going to deal with the root problem that was in the church at that time. And it was about people getting along. And what was the root problem or causes of, Of fights and quarrels among them. Are you ready? It's gonna be fun today, okay? So it's just gonna be fun. So, once again, we know James pulls no punches. He just speaks right to these issues. And um, so, just if you're gonna get your feelings hurt, you're gonna get your feelings hurt today, okay? So, uh, it's just, he's gonna just speak right to uh, the issue of what's going on. So, let's look at James. Once again, let's look at James. Chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Once again, this isn't going to make you feel all warm and fuzzy, but he's going to speak truth to our hearts, and it's going to set us free. Amen? All right. Amen. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's see what James says. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? It's always other people. No, that's not what he says. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires within you? You want, and you don't have. And you scheme, and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you cannot get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You Adulterers. Yikes. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And I, and I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you will make yourselves an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Amen to God's word. Okay, so James, once again, doesn't hold back. What is is James talking about here? What James is doing is he's addressing those in the church who need to be corrected. And there is those who had just these misplaced priorities and really thought too much of themselves. So what James is saying so much in these verses is James addresses those who had a profession of faith but not a possession of faith and there's a huge difference a massive difference because you can say i believe whatever you want to believe but the proof is in how we live it and what james is saying listen you have this profession of faith he's saying this to the church but he goes this faith hasn't possessed you You go to church, you do all the religious things, it looks good on the outside, but it hasn't possessed you because you're not living it out. You're not getting along with one another. You're only in it for yourself. In so many words, they weren't living out what they believed. And James makes this claim to say that if you follow Jesus, and then you're bickering and you're fighting, and you're not getting your way, something's wrong here. Something's really wrong. You see, in so many words... James is saying a self-centered life will always be in turmoil. Always be in turmoil. Always be in turmoil. Why? Because you will see people as always getting in your way. People are a problem. And the reason why I have so many problems is because of people. The church would be a perfect place if it weren't for people. Right? I say that all the time. It would be great if it wasn't for people. Right? But we're full of people. And, and we all got our problems, and we all have our issues, and we all have our opinions. Can I, we all say amen? amen? We do. We just, let's all be honest. James was speaking to a group in the church that was only looking out for themselves. And so what James does is he gets to the heart of the issue, and he asks the question, what really causes fights and quarrels among you? And our first reaction would be to that question, well, of course, it's everyone else. It's, if, if it weren't for people, I wouldn't have all these problems. But the problem is what James is saying is they are the problem. They are unreasonable. And so if we're not careful, we can look at other people and we can say, they're the problems, they're unreasonable, they're not considerate, they're demanding. But James doesn't answer the question that way. What James does is, is he turns the tables around. James doesn't let those in the church off the hook. He puts the mirror in our faces and tells us what we're actually battling with in our own hearts. And really what it is, is it's a battle for control. It's a battle for control. Think think just for a moment, those of you that are married, and think about the last argument you had, and hopefully it wasn't on the way to church, but just think about the last argument you had your spouse. What was the main issue? The main issue was you weren't getting your own way. There was some unmet expectation. And what it is is it's a battle within our hearts. It's when our selfish needs, our needs, are not being met. Okay, I'm just just seeing if anybody's with me this morning. Okay. So what's the real conflict? What is the conflict that James is talking about? And this is where we need to understand the proclivity of our hearts. Not everything in our heart is good. Not every desire we have is necessarily good. Not all our desires are necessarily good. We have to always scrutinize them with Scripture. So, listen, we might want status or influence. We might want status or influence. We we might want to hurt someone who's hurt us. Something might be buried in our hearts, and that's the source of the conflict. And what James is saying is deep in there easily could be envy and jealousy, even in the context of the church. Now, have you ever wondered why someone got so angry so quickly? They exploded over something that seemed so small. What we have to realize is always something more. There's something that is amiss within our hearts. And could I be holding resentment for someone because I didn't get my own way? And some things we hold on to for years And we'll keep going back to that well. Remember 15 years ago when I didn't get my way or something was done wrong to me, blah, 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 blah. And we think we're over it and we keep going back to that well? See, something is in there in our hearts that hasn't been dealt with and what ends up happening is resentment and bitterness is in there. Because we're still going back to that well from 15, 20 years ago of something that was done to us. And if we're not careful, that bitterness can have a deep root within our hearts. And what happens is we hold resentment. We hold resentment maybe towards the church or towards someone else. You see, the longer we hold on to resentment, the more cynical we become. The more critical we become, the less teachable we become, the more we generalize. While the church, they're just like that everybody's like that in the church because you know they do not I mean everybody's like that that and we generalize right because we become cynical and we're not open to be teachable and we become very resentful and this may be why the conflict in our why there's conflict in our lives and why there's unresolved relationships in our lives and so what James is saying is that it's not always other people but it's what it's what's brewing in our hearts and what's going on with some of those that were in the church, is that there was this acknowledgement of faith, but their lives weren't living out. There was a lip service, but they weren't forgiving. Listen, James says, listen, there's this grace that God wants to give to you, but you're not giving that grace. In fact, God is opposing your proud heart, but he gives grace to the humble. He tells them that there's this disconnect in their relationship with Christ. In so many words, he tells them, you're cheating. You're cheating. So what does he mean by that? See, they wanted to have a relationship with God, yet their worldly passions were getting in the way and they were cheating on their relationship with God. They had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Try that in your marriage. Try saying that you'll be uh, faithful 51% of the time. What? You know, I'm giving you, you know, 51. ones better than 50. That going to work? It's not going to work. Not going to work. Can you imagine hearing that during a wedding ceremony? I'll be faithful some of the time. See, James, he gets serious about sin here. James is saying your relationship with God is the utmost importance here. And by you allowing these conflicts to happen and bitterness to reign in your heart and selfishness and and desiring these worldly things, it's adultery. You're, you're, You're ruining your relationship that God desires to have with you. That is why James uses the word adultery. Why does James use such harsh words as adultery in other words to describe what's going on here? Because... We hurt our relationship with God by following the world and its desires. That's why. And James is serious about this. And this is an allusion to marriage. When something comes between the marital relationships, it, what does it do? It literally breaks that covenant. It breaks that bond. It was interesting. I was listening to a, a podcast of a divorce lawyer. And um, kind of a, it just caught my attention because he wrote a book on a guide on how to stay together and here's a divorce lawyer writing a book on how to stay together because he sees these common factors of these marriages and the thing that he found out with all these different marriages that that didn't end well he said there's 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 not a concerted effort to stay connected one person either checks out And he goes, it's not always an affair or an adultery that breaks a relationship. It's either one person checks out or they both check out. And and they they lose this connection with each other. They slowly, over years, disconnect. And, And what he noticed was it's not always a person that comes between them, but it can be other things. And I want you to think about this with your relationship with God. It, it, for, for a marriage, what, what can slowly become to happen, what can happen is when you begin to have kids, it can become a kids centered marriage and not a spouse-centered marriage. And you spend all your time revolved around the kids, and that's the only connect you have. And then when those kids leave the house, the, the thing that connected you was the kids, but, but your relationship's not connected because it wasn't a spouse-centered marriage. And all of a sudden you realize over the years you drifted apart. It can be a hobby or it can be work. These are not wrong, but if they're placed over the marriage, the marriage becomes disconnected. They stop prioritizing their marriage. And this is what James is saying about our relationship with God. Some of the things we do may not necessarily be bad things, but they disconnect us with God. We stop prioritizing God in our lives. And all of a sudden we lose that relationship with him and then the lure of the world becomes more attractive. And then we slowly but surely fade away from God. You see, if our, if our commitment to our marriage, let's use this an illustration, if our, if our commitment to our marriage is not first and foremost, something else will be, right? And we must be intentional, right? We must be intentional to make our marriage Come first. We have to be intentional to do that. It's just not going to be. Please don't put your marriage on cruise control because you're going to go right off a cliff. It's just not going to happen. You have to be intentional. You have to be intentional with your relationship with God. You have to seek him and strive after him and know him in your life. You see, besides your relationship with God, your spouse should be the most important thing in your life. And James tells us that to be in love with the world is to be enemies with God. James tells us to stop being lured by the world because it will diminish our relationship with God. So this is a a wake-up call to the seriousness of following the world and its desires, and it's always going to lead to destruction. God uses this same imagery when speaking to Israel and their waywardness in the Old Testament. Because they began to chase the gods of these other nations that were around them. And God would use this word adultery, speaking through many of the prophets, prophets, because they broke their relationship with God. I read this quote. I love this one. He was an English Puritan who lived in the 1600s. His name was John Owens. And, and this quote, this is one of my favorite quotes from him, but he gives the end result of sin And the seriousness that happens when we follow the world. Listen to this. Written hundreds of years ago. But listen to what John Owen says. He says this. Sin aims always at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice, if it has its own way, it will go out to the utmost sin in that kind. Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism if allowed to develop. Every rise of lust, if it has its way, reaches the height of villainy. It is like the grave that is never satisfied. The deceitfulness of sin is seen in that it is modest in its first proposals, it doesn't seem that big. But when it prevails, it hardens men's heart and brings them to ruin. In so many words, what John Ow- Owens is saying, it's always a slow fade. Little bit by At first, it seems modest, it's no big deal. A little bit of compromise, a little bit of compromise until it brings ruin. We all know that in our lives. Don't we? When we follow the things of the world and we thought by chasing these things, it was going to bring satisfaction, but it only brought ruin. But here's the thing. I don't want to leave you depressed today and walk. I said, man, pastor, whoa, man, this is a heavy duty message. But I wanted you, I want to bring to you the tone of James. Why it's not just, it's just not to condemn people and to make you feel horrible about yourself. What James is doing is he wants to bring the seriousness of this so that you will realize how much God does love you and what type of relationship he does want to have with you and how deceitful sin is. You see, what we see in our world today is this. What we see is sacred has now become common. The sacredness of marriage has now become common common. The sacredness of life has now become common where we choose to set up the moral parameters of what what we think is moral and right. And when we do that, it's disastrous. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. Slowly but surely, man is trying to take over the position of God and tell you what you think you should be thinking. No. No. I don't, I'm going to stay by the truth of God's word. I want God to tell me what I should think and how I should act because he's our creator. He knows what's best for you. That's the whole reason why Jesus came was not just to be a good teacher, was not just to be an add-on to your life, but Jesus came to deal with our sin issue. Listen, if, if, if we needed a better economy, he would have sent, sent us an economist, wouldn't he? No, he did. If we needed better education, he would have sent us a professor. He didn't. He sent us a savior to die for our sin. That's our biggest problem, is our sin issue. And what Jesus does is he comes to restore that brokenness that was left by sin because of our waywardness and restores back to a right relationship with God. It's the purpose of Christ's coming. And so what's the answer to all this? James gives us the answer. The answer to combat sin It's not by you just constantly picking yourself up by your bootstraps and saying, Okay, I'll never do that again. I'm such a I'm so I'm such a mess up and I keep making mistakes and blah 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 and you know I'm gonna you know repent again and again and again and again. Listen, listen. There has to be a change of mind and heart in your life towards sin in order to combat it correctly. And you will never do it in your own strength. You will be a failure every single time when you think you got it licked because you don't. You don't. There has to be a change of mind and a change of heart. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. I used to think this way. I used to think this was going to help me. It doesn't. And so when we repent and we change our mind and it changes our hearts, then it changes our behavior. And so what's the answer? Here's the answer. To combat sin. And how do we protect ourselves from sin? The answer is humility. The less I think of myself, the more Christ is evident in my life. You see, humility, humility fights against a prideful heart. God will resist a hardened, prideful heart that says they can do it on their own. It's through humility. It's by saying, God, I need your grace. I need to be the one that takes the high road. I need to be the one that offers forgiveness. I need to be the one that, that is a peacemaker, that is willing to to take that step of faith to bring reconciliation in a situation. I need to be the one that serves and not be served. I, I need to be the one that reaches out. I, I need to be the one that doesn't need to get the glory. I need to be the one that says, Jesus, it's for you and you alone I'm doing this, not for myself, but for you. That eliminates a lot of conflict and fighting when we have that type of attitude. And that doesn't mean you become a doormat and let people step all over you. That's not, because some people are like, what well, if I do that? People step all over me. Listen, when you walk in humility, you're going to look for ways to serve. You're, 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 you're not going to care how it makes you look or if it's beneath you, you're going to look for ways to serve even if it's not what you want to do humility there's a story in first kings chapter 12 about king rehoboam who was the son of king solomon solomon was the wisest man to ever lead not even the nation of Israel but to ever lead people would travel far to come hear him and hear his wisdom Yet towards the end of his reign, he was overly harsh with God's people. The people of God were no longer living in freedom in in the promised land, but under this heavy yoke that was established by Solomon. And this is the exact thing the prophet Samuel said to him when they wanted a king. You want a king? Hey, we want a king like everybody else. He goes, okay, if you're going to have a king, then they're going to rule over you. You're going to have to give to this kingdom. You're going to have to give of your harvest and all this other stuff. You may have to have heavy labor to work for this king. Well, that's what we want. Okay, then this is what you're going to get. So when Solomon ruled, he became very harsh and very demanding. And when he died, his son Rehoboam became king. And he was asked to give counsel on the way he should rule. Now he had a choice; he could ask the older, wiser men on how he was to rule, or he was going to ask his young buddies on how he was going to how he should rule. How do you think that turned out? What, what, what do you guys think? All right, let's see what it says here because this all has to go with humility. First Kings twelve six through eight says this: Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men, the men who were in their fifties in their 60s, in their 70s, 80s, who who had counseled his father, Solomon, he said, what is your advice? Here is his opportunity to change, to rule in humility, not with harshness, not with pride. Here's his opportunity. How should I answer these people that are crying out saying, you are too harsh on us? The older counselors replied, if you let's catch this. Oh, this is the whole thing of the whole message. Get this, get this. This is so good. He said this. If you are willing to be what? A servant. Not 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 have them serve you, but you serve them. That's the way to God's heart. When we learn to be a servant in humility, these people today and give them favorable answer; they will always be your loyal subjects. How many would say that's a good answer? How many say that's a gospel answer? That's a good answer. But, that's not good when you start a sentence with but. But Rehoboam did what? Rejected the advice of the older men. Instead, he asked the opinion of his buddies, of the young men who he had grown up with, And were now his advisors. Now what kind of advice do you think they gave him? They told him to rule harder. And because of Rehoboam's prideful heart. He didn't listen to his elders. And he worked Israel even harder. And was more demanding. And because of this. The nation divided. And eventually would be conquered by foreign nations. You see. What James is saying is a heart that is humble and repentant, God will always give you his grace. I love what Sam Alberry says here. Will the love of self draw me from God or will love of God draw me from myself? You see, the love of God will always draw you from yourself to serve others. But the love of self... Will always draw me away from God because it will never be enough. I always want to be served. I always want to get my way. But the closer you become to, to God, the more you draw away from yourself. And so I want you to think for a moment. Think of a conflict you had. Think of a time you didn't get your own way. Think of something that you're frustrated with right now. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Not why didn't you get your own way, or why did that person act the way they did, or blah blah, blah, blah blah. Right. Ask yourself this question: What did it reveal about you? What did it reveal about your heart? Even if the other person was wrong, even if it was unfair, What did it reveal about your heart? In your struggle? in your struggle? With sin and wanting our own way, James says, humble yourself before God. Remember, true serving, a true servant, it will always cost you something. It'll always cost me something. That's a true servant. And remember, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have died to ourselves right? We've died to ourselves. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You will find the most freedom in your life when you lay your desires at the foot of the cross and let Christ lift you up. Walk in that humility in the way we serve, the way we love, the way we treat one another. What James is saying is, Your fights and your quarrels are not revealing what you're truly trusting. They're not showing what your profession of faith really is because the gospel really hasn't possessed your life because it's seen. And you're bickering and you're fighting and you wanting your your own way. This is James' call to us to fight against sin and to humble ourselves and allow God to be lifted up in our lives. Amen? Amen. So. If you're frustrated right now or if there's stuff that's happened way back in your past or whatever it may be, just ask yourself, God, just take that deep inventory and say, God, what is this revealing about me and what do I need to die to in my life so that you're exalted in my life? That's going to be probably the hardest question you'll ever ask yourself. (laughs) Remember, don't ask questions you don't want the answer to, but we sometimes need to ask some questions in our lives because God loves us so much he doesn't want us to remain there amen 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 all right i'm going to shut up let god deal with your heart today father god as we as we bow our hearts before you today lord we understand the consequence of sin is devastation. Thank you for the forgiveness that we find in Christ Jesus and the freedom. The way we fight that is not through our strength, but the way we fight that is through humility and through serving and serving God. Help us, Lord, that when things don't go our way, when we're frustrated about things, God, may we ask that question, God, what are you doing in my heart? What are you revealing in my heart? And maybe there's some things that God, you need to dig up in our lives that have been buried in there that you want to deal with. Help us, God, to just seek you and to know that you are there to give us your grace and to find healing in you and to find forgiveness in you, Lord. Help, Help us not to allow our pride and what we want to get in the way of what you're trying to do in our hearts and our lives. So thank you for this hard word. And it is a hard word, but a hard word softens hearts. A soft word hardens hearts. Help us to take this hard word and the truth of it and, and, and allow us, Lord, to be softened by it as we desire to serve you. So we thank you, Lord, for your word today. We love you. We praise you. And uh, we're so grateful that you receive us and that you forgive us. And your grace, like James says, is plentiful. It's gracious beyond gracious, beyond gracious. So thank you, Lord, for your grace today. Thank you for just loving us. Lord, you're so good. Thank you for your patience. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. As we close in song today, I love this song. Run to the Father. Run to him. Just say, God, I'm just going to come to you today with all my all my stuff, the things I failed in it. And I'm just going to run to you today. And I I need you to restore me. I I need your help today. Um, There's not one of us in this room that when we sing this worship song, shouldn't be our prayer. (laughs) Let it be your prayer today and realize that Christ receives you and heals you. Amen. So let's stand and let's just exalt the Lord and let's sing that unto him today. God bless you as you sing this to him.